You're listening to Errol Parker and Clancy Overall, editors of The Batuta Advocate on Desert Rock FM. Welcome back to the Batuta Advocate radio show, recording live out of the old city district in uh, the Budgie Smuggler Studios, downtown Batuta in the beautiful Diamantina Shire. You know, in isolation as listeners, we've had a few um, a few interesting guests because there's a lot more people with a bit of spare time on their hands to talk to us. Uh, we've had Sir Bob Geldof, Malcolm Turnbull, a whole, a whole range of different people that have, um, you know... Uh, you wouldn't usually be free to talk and today's guest is is one of them as well with a career in music spanning over 50 years and uh 26 golden guitars i believe i hope i got that number right i argued whether it was 26 or 27 i think i I can count 26 anyway (laughs) yeah you um you don't want to get that one wrong but thank you for joining us today john williamson it's a pleasure clancy and errol how have you been in isolation mate uh, I've been up in southeast Queensland. I've got a block of land up there, and uh, we'd only just extended, gone upstairs. So it was a perfect time for us to move in, and uh, you know, clean up after the builders have left and all the rest of it. It is. It's it's a uh, it's a good spot down there in Australia's Tuscany, <laughs> down there in that southeast corner where they only worry about themselves. <laughs> that's it. Not the rest well, of Queensland. Right. That's all we've been doing lately: worrying about ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, with a guitar in hand, I imagine it's probably a bit easier to sit at home. I noticed that um, Troy Casadaly, he, he was saying that it was, it's a lot easier, you know, as a musician to be stuck in isolation because that's mostly how you spend your, your lifetime in the back of a truck or, you know, in the back of a bus or in, the, in a hotel room. You, you used to that? Yeah, I, I, I think it's great. I've been learning how to retire, <laughs> which I've been thinking about. Because we postponed all our sold out gigs to next year so I was going to quiet, go quiet next year but it looks like I'm doing it this year and we'll get back into it next year. It's a good country to be in I guess in the scheme of things as a musician because it looks like there'll be live music in Australia well before there is anywhere else in the world so yes basically you just put that one on hold, postpone it bump it to yeah, 2021 yeah, wait, They haven't cancelled the, the uh, Denny Ute must have yet but it may, I don't know but it's still saying it's going to go on They'll be the last maybe, time. Maybe everyone, everyone likes to sit in their utes. Yeah. <laughs> or in the, back of the, in the back of the ute. Out in the paddock, that'll work. That'd be fun. You can still do donuts in isolation, that's all right. <laughs> no, I've, I've enjoyed being isolated because I've been looking forward to getting up into uh, Springbrook, up there where the big shed is, so it's, uh, I've, I've really enjoyed it. You know, we're now able to see our grandkids, so we're not suffering too badly. So basically, when we look at your career, John, you've almost done an album a year. Yeah, those are some... There's some compilations. There's a, there's a bit of a cheat there. We've, we've put out a few compilations and, <laughs> yep. you know, best ofs and all the rest of it. And we're doing it again now, this box set. Yeah, yeah, yeah. JW, JW50. Yeah. So... Uh, 25 mini discs two songs on each disc and a, and a painting of mine or a drawing on each on each cover so but yeah I, I, I think I'm in the 20s when it comes to original albums early 20s something you know of, of brand new studio albums but there's a couple of live albums like there's a Sydney Symphony one that I did so that all adds up so can you take us back then if if this spans 20 years can you take us back to 1970 what was John Williamson like back then 
Oh, I don't think I've changed that much, Errol. Uh, yeah. I, I I still still got a brother on the land, so I go out there and and uh, sit down on the chair and worry with him about about <laughs> the barley not not going uh, the barley prices coming yeah. because of China or whatever. <laughs> Getting too much rain. But I, yeah, that's it. I'm not as shy as I used to be back then. I'm sure. Yeah. You you, you learn you can't be shy in this business. I mean. Um, Okay, you know, I wouldn't do it if I was shy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, you're you're on the front foot already. Last year, um, Paul Kelly released an album, and we were talking to him around the same time. And uh, he, Paul Kelly, has kind of uh, got a way of kind of, I guess, slinking through crowds and, and 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 avoiding being bailed up by the punters in a way that someone like Jimmy Barnes might not be able to do. Where you know you get every single bloke that's ever listened to your music wants to say g'day and wants you to. Behaving. In every airport lounge, <laughs> every airport lounge, and in every servo, and they want to—they uh, have an idea of what you are and how you're going to behave and how you're going to act. How do you deal with the uh, the punters? Oh, I'm always quite flattered when someone comes up and says they're you know they're, they're my greatest fan or whatever they want to say, or they want a photo. I don't mind that as long as it's not too much. But I I can. I think it's an attitude. If, if you don't want to be noticed, you don't get yeah. noticed. You, yeah, know? Yeah. You, don't yeah, people, yeah. you don't look people in the eye. And uh, I, I think that's the way you, you remain normal. I think there's been nothing worse. I've often been tempted to write a song, Who Wants to Be Jesus Christ or John Glennon or Elvis Presley? Because when you get that famous, it, it'll end up killing you. Yeah. yeah. The modern footballer would actually struggle with that because they've uh, they've all covered in tattoos and 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 they've got wild haircuts nowadays. But, and they're uh, huge too. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I ran into one of the Burgess brothers this morning. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You, miss, you can't miss them. <laughs> John, I, I love your music. <laughs> <laughs> when I was back in Huddersfield, I loved it. <laughs> yeah, he knew who I was. That's about all he said. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you do a better one than me, man. <laughs> Nord in England. Can you tell us the moment when you decided you were going to um, make that move into music? I mean, as we said, 50 years ago, now 50 albums ago, 20 original albums ago. What was the decision, and was it a big risk at the time, or were you just a young bloke where you could have, you could have done anything at that point? Uh, well, I was one of five boys, so I was on the farm first, mm-hmm. and I and I actually had a farm with my brother. There was a 4,000 acre property. So I had a future there if I wanted it. I went to boarding school for a few years in Melbourne, and that's where I got into folk music. But it wasn't until I went up to Maury, north of Maury, Cropper Creek. Yeah, I was yeah. in amongst kangaroos and emus, and I came up with this song, Old Man Emu, and I was just performing in a, a little coffee lounge in Maury just for fun. In fact, I got a free meal is about all I got out of it. <laughs> and, I, and I wrote this song, Old Man Emu, which was just a novelty thing. In those days, there was only novelty Aussie songs that got any airplay. You couldn't be serious. Yeah, yeah. You had to put on an American accent and do all that stuff if you wanted to be serious. When I sang it at the pub Imperial Hotel in Maury, I had to sing it three times. It's never happened to me since. All right. I had to sing the song three times. I thought, I might have a hit here. Yeah, right. So I, I went down to Melbourne and I had a connection with um, Channel 9 because my dad's cousin was the musical director there. So I got on New Faces straight away, and uh, next minute I got a contract in front of me with a, a recording of Old Man Emu that went number one for five weeks. So I'd actually went back to the farm when I first heard it on radio. After that, I decided to give the career a bit of a go, but I remember 
dad's cousin, Brian Ranger, told me, you know, you won't last in this business long. <laughs> I'd be a one-hit screamer, and I was a one-hit screamer for a while. But, uh, I worked up my career and eventually started writing, you know, some serious songs. And uh, 16 years later, I came up with Mally Boy album, and that's still yeah. my biggest biggest album. It would have been a hell of a time to give up the farming because, you know, back in the day, in the 70s, it was quite an exceptionally wet time. I mean, <laughs> so you'd be seeing, you know, these big crops up the armpits and then it's like, no, nope, I'm going to get into music. Um, mate, we had we had some bad years as well. I, we had to sell all our sheep for skin value at one stage. Yeah. 65 when we moved up there was the worst drought on record up there and in another year we had about 2,000 acres of wheat looking prime and the, and the frost killed a lot yeah and I think that was when I started to think there's a better way to make a quid <laughs> yeah 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 certainly is or you could be a farmer in Moree where you can't seem to fail up there can you <laughs> yeah but that's a that's very prosperous yeah my, my yeah. brother's done very well it always comes back yeah uh, yeah yeah you tell us a little bit about those um, those early days. Like, wh- did you meet any heroes early on? Because I mean, every everyone in country music has kind of got a story about meeting either, um, um, you know, meeting Slim because Slim had a few Renaissance uh, moments in his career. Oh, he was a bit old than me, mate. So yeah, 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 yeah. I was saying, <laughs> he, he, you might have timed well with one of his comebacks. <laughs> yeah, I think. Slim saw me as a competition. Actually, yeah, he came yeah. that whole showgrounds thing where you, you didn't you didn't want your tent close to the other bloke's tent, you know. But um, but I I did meet some American stars. I met uh, 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 Roger Miller. I met Tom T. Hall, and I actually supported Johnny Cash. Whoa, was that yeah. was that Stan Stanthorpe? Was the Johnny Cash show he had here? No, uh, down in Tassie. I did I did the two. Casinos there with him, right? Yeah, and uh, he's a big bloke. He used to have heels on him were about four inches, you know, so it was like Darth Vader. <laughs> he wore a big black coat, and uh, he didn't say much, you know. No, but Tom B. Hall was good. I went on a little cruise around the harbour with Tom B. Hall, and I, I sang all Australian boys need a shed to him, and he was gobsmacked. He'd never heard anyone sing. And a country song without an American accent. Yeah, right. You kind of started that, I guess. As you said before, there was a lot of novelty in Australian music, with you, particularly country music, and, and all the rest was singing like Americans. And I guess you kind of brought, you know, an authenticity to Australian country music to the mainstream anyway, where you could sing in the voice you're actually talking. Yeah, uh, Aussies couldn't say love when they said love in a song. They have to say love. Yeah. <laughs> I think I might have been the first one to say love on a record. Yeah, right. And, yeah. Uh, and, and of course, Slim never sang a love song that I remember anyway. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. he, he and Rolf Harris had the accent. But Chad Morgan's my hero. He's still yeah. around. Chad Morgan was, uh, I think, the reason he, he sang crazy songs because no one would take him seriously anyway. Yeah, he, he uh, he's still yeah he's still around. Kimpy Mustard, not even ten years ago, he was headlining there. He could write a serious song, but he he had a a, a comedy look about him, and he played on that. Mm. Yeah. Did you find any hot spots around Australia where you kind of um you know where you didn't expect to see country music fans? Because you you often find that in places like Logan, particularly urban areas, Eaton's Hill, like North Brisbane, and South Brisbane as well. And I know Rudy Hill. 
in Western Sydney. They just love their country music. Yeah, <clears throat> but but mind you, I think my music is more folk than country. Even though I yeah. hung my hat on the country music, they they yeah. pigeonholed me there. Yeah, my songs, be quite honest, work with anyone that likes to hear about Australia. It's that they don't have to be into um, country music necessarily. You know, in fact, I think the really hardcore country music fans aren't as big a fans of mine as. Uh, yeah. As, as some of the other people, you know, like because I don't, I'm not into the American thing, but I I pay tribute to the to the real Aussie style country music. You know, I've, the, on this box set, there's a new one called uh, uh, "Those Fifty Years," and I've actually recorded in that real slim, traditional Aussie style. You know, so there's there's definitely a market for it still. Yeah. Did you do much touring overseas? Did you did you did you uh, uh, New Zealand? I went, yeah, New Zealand, I did a couple of times. I did America once and I did um, England twice and Ireland once. But after I'd done them, I thought, I, that's not really me. Yeah. Being, you know? So you've been all over the country then. So you've you've yeah. obviously toured it top to bottom. Where was a place that really took you back? I mean, I know there's been a few times when, like, the, the last time I crossed the Nullarbor, I popped into Esperance and I was like, geez, this is a pretty nice corner of the world. Yeah. Is there anywhere you've been that's really kind of blown you away? Yeah, I think I think the Pilbara blew me away more than anything else. It's uh, all those just those big red hills with covered in uh, yeah in, in spin effects and, and white snappy gums. And I, in fact, it almost turned me into a landscape painter. I loved it that much. I ended up painting quite a lot of landscapes from the Pilbara, and that's like really isolated and very quiet. Yeah. You wouldn't live there, but to go through it. It's like being on Mars, if you, or, you know, being on a different world. It's same with uh, around Broome up there in the Kimberley. That's like another country. Yeah, it is. More like being in South Africa or in Africa, you know. Do you ever get that with your music? Do you ever pull up into a place and say, I have to write a song about here? I mean, you've written about a lot of parts of Australia. Uh, yeah. Personal favourite of mine takes me back to my early days. Um, Chasing Pigs is obviously Gundy, Gundy Pork. Gundy Pork, Yeah. <laughs> I, I did write about the truth. I think that's mm. why it works, you know. And uh, I've been on the land, so all that stuff's truthful. Mm. But yeah, no, I get well. Obviously, I was inspired by uh, Uluru, you know, mm-hmm. uh, in all that area out the centre. And uh, I got to got to know Warren Williams, and he he took me around a lot of the places. I think um, the Red Centre is probably the the most amazing area, mm. you know. But uh, you know, I'm into the tropics. Where I live in southeast Queensland is uh, subtropical country. Love that. Yeah. Do you... I've written all songs about that area too. <laughs> <laughs> You've said before, you know, True Blue obviously is a song that took off, teared away uh, from from you know anyone else in uh, you know making music at that time. And and, and of course, of your catalogue, you don't think that's your best song you've you've written. But you know that just happens sometimes where the, where the audience grabs onto a song. You, you didn't. You didn't have any expectations for that one. No, I, I, I didn't write it as a, as a uh, you know, try to be a hit. I wrote it for a project for John Singleton, who had a TV show called True Blue Aussies. Right. Yeah. He had three years off from from his business, and he went into filming True Blue Aussies. So he, he went out on the road with people like Buddy Williams, and and uh, he wanted a theme, and he just rang, and rang me up and said, "What I'm trying to people. <laughs> about all I got." So the song is sort of asking the question, what is true? Is it me and you? Is it mum and dad? What is it, you know? Then they used it for the Buy Australian campaign and that gave it huge exposure. Yeah. 
and w with all sorts of wonderful Aussie pictures to go with it, it was like I had this um, million dollar film clip <laughs> presented to, on every channel. So I was very lucky there. But that's just, I, I don't think it's necessarily the best song, but it's used for celebration and also for funerals, you know, yeah. so, and for, yeah. for the cricket team and for, you know, Wallabies, everything, you know. Who would have thought? So I can't beat it. I, it's my calling card, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what get, that gets yelled at you during a gig when you when they feel like you're not going to play it at the end of the set. Yeah, play half through the first half, and they just hang on. Yeah, they're Eaton's Hill. Give me the last two. hits, I suppose. But I'm getting a bit of Gundawindi pork from the audience too. Yeah. Yeah. All the all the shooters. All the humans up the back. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about Tamworth? You kind of saw that machine um, become a thing, the Country Music Festival. You would that would have been during your 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 heyday when Tamworth started really kind of uh, the festival itself hitting its straps. Did you have any idea that that would turn out to what it was? Yeah, I think it was going to work. I mean, it was based on the whole Nashville idea mm -hmm. that John Minson kicked it off, and Tamworth was a bit of a country music centre already because of the John Minson's hoedown radio program and I, I remember coming through after Old Man Emu was released I came through from Cropper Creek and, and met the Emanuel brothers and and it was a bit of a country centre already so I didn't go to the first awards in fact I thought it was all I was going to do was make everybody stab each other in the back for not you know because you reckon you should have got the award kind of thing you know but it did work I became president of it for a while I guess the reason I joined up, I just wanted to make sure we don't just become a satellite for American country music, and I think that was done a lot for that. Yeah. So we have our own sound, and yeah. And yeah. as time goes on, we're getting more and more Aussie singing about us and sounding like us. Yeah, I actually heard the other day from a, a source inside Rugby Australia that back when you used to sing, you know, after the All Blacks would do their haka, that you aren't allowed to sing a song at a rugby game now if it's not a cultural song. But would yeah. you argue that Waltzing Matilda is a cultural song? Oh, definitely. For Australia? Yeah, well, if, it, if it's a song that stirs the nation, that's that's, that's all it needs, and that, that one did. And I did actually... Uh, it shocked the hell out of the All Blacks when I did sing it after the Harker. Yeah. Actually, they were actually pissed off because they thought this is not right, because you know, they had it their own way every time. But yeah. the Walters told me afterwards that we won the Bledisloe Cup that day, first time I did it. Yeah. And, and then we, uh, the team went to went overseas and won the World Cup. Yeah. Yeah, it was the first time that after a harker that they were on the front foot when when, uh, when the, all the Aussies sang Walsh and Matilda. And I remember doing a little uh, a dinner or something at, at the grounds beforehand and there were a lot of Kiwis in the audience and they thought it was a bit of a jack because everyone was... Everyone knew I was going to do Old Man Emu. Uh, sorry, uh, uh, Rosie Matilda after the Harker. It was promoted and people were ready for it. And uh, the Kiwi said, oh, we'll sing along. Ha, ha, ha. They had no idea the impact that would have on the game, you know. And when it came to the World Cup in Sydney, they wouldn't let me sing it after the Harker. So they, the Kiwis won in the finish. They didn't want to write a reply. That's what it was too because uh, that, that that is an advantage the, the All Blacks have. It's like... Yeah. You know, anthems are sung, and then um, they do a incredibly intimidating war dance, and then it's kickoff. 
And it's all been downhill since, you know, the 2003 World Cup, you know. How everyone's talking about the share market being as low as it's been for millions of years. Well, what about the Wallabies? <laughs> yeah, well, I think that's... I think rugby hasn't looked after the uh, the grassroots. I think that's the main reason for that. Mm-hmm. And they, they didn't allow it to go to free television. That was the biggest mistake. Yeah. yeah. You lose fans if you can't watch it for nothing. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm not not getting someone to drill a hole into my house uh, so that I can watch rugby union. <laughs> now the waltzing Matilda, uh, you know, you've obviously sung it a fair few times, but uh, we spoke to the Honourable Bob Catter last time we were in Mount Isa. We had an interview with him. That'd be interesting. Oh yeah, it was great. It goes for about three hours, and he interrupts <laughs> himself constantly. So, um, <laughs> but he he is obsessed with the yarn, as a lot of people up that way are. Uh, they hold it close to their heart, um, you know, out that way. Winton, yeah. Mount Isa. Huge land song, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And Bob reckons he knows the entire story. Bob yeah. reckons he knows the name of the cop that killed him. I know him. the murderer. <laughs> he was set up. Yeah, John, you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna come up hard on house and come for a protest. Yeah. Yeah. This is first example of police brutalising people in Australia. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, Bob was out front of Parliament House today dressed as the Grim Reaper uh, on behalf of uh, the automotive industry. Yeah. <laughs> Holden to Aussie jobs. Yeah. Yeah. Loves a pun, Bob, doesn't he? Yes. What, does, he, does he do anything for the country? I'm not sure, but he's fun. <laughs> he does a lot for his people up there in Northern Australia. Yeah. Inland rail, inland rail. <laughs> so what would you say is your footy team because you're based in uh, I mean I mean you're obviously across both uh, all codes it's I'm obviously lines. I've got the foot in all camps mate I yeah even though I was born in Victoria there's no rugby league down there so I'm a, I'm a blues fan when yeah. it comes to origin mm. also a broncos fan yeah right very clever and uh, <laughs> I've always been an Essendon fan because I've born up brought up in on Aussie rules yeah right Always loved Essendon, so uh, I've got it all covered, really. Well, it's good the sport is back. I mean, I get like, music can't be too far behind it if they if they're talking about getting fans in stadiums uh, for the for the footy. No one knows the strategy from our end. We're we're outside of the tent, but I reckon live music isn't too far off. Yeah, yeah, but I'm I'm not too sure about having a cardboard audience. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, we did a story today. That's what the, uh, the Victorian Labor Party basically looks like an NRL crowd at the moment with their branch stacking. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. <laughs> I could just just see going out there and signing all the cardboard. <laughs> I'd take them home and stick them up in their wall. See, I had had quite a lot of sold-out shows I had to cancel or postpone. I can't do them again until everyone can come. You know, yeah. you can't. Yeah. Three hundred can come and three hundred can't. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I can't do anything about them until till we're able to sit next to each other again. I think that's the way it'll, especially for the ones I've already sold. Yeah. You know, like I, I do a shed show on my shed every year and I had to postpone that. Well, there's only one or four people have wanted their money back. So, you know, it's all, they're all, it's all still happening next yeah. year. Well, there's been a, a couple of musicians who've started to do their shows on Skype. Is that something that would interest you? No, I, I wouldn't. I'm doing the odd silly thing, mm. you know, not performing. Like I I promoted this, this box set by yeah. doing a couple of silly things like taking the wheelbarrow to the mailbox and picking it up because I hadn't seen it before. 
you know, I took the wheelbarrow up to collect all the fan mail, but there was none there. Do <laughs> uh, silly things like that, and I'm going to go around the shed and probably uh, tell the stories of all the stuff I've got in the shed. So, uh, but rather than perform, I find that a bit. You know, everyone's doing that. I think it's a bit weird. Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's it a is. bit of a triple J idea, that isn't it? Yeah. You know? It's probably great for young artists that are trying to get somewhere and, and, and it'll probably kick a lot of them off, so good yeah. luck to them. Now, where you sit kind of in, in you know, foot in both camps uh, with, with your music between folk and country, have you ever been paired up with someone? I mean, you know, you're well known for a songwriter, a balladeer, not necessarily uh, the type of music associated with hardcore partying. Have you ever been paired up on tour with bands that uh, kind of just clashed a little bit with that classic touring style you do? You're probably yeah. not trashing hotels. I think I did did one of the DJ, and I, I, that was over in West Australia, but the, the rain had got rained out. But that was with a DJ, and that was completely opposite of what I was about. And everyone was under umbrellas and eventually they had to cancel it because of the, the power was a bit of a problem <laughs> but, yeah, we always know what's going on so i don't want to be uh, put in the wrong place yes i could be there with paul kelly or john farnham or something like that doesn't matter but it's the really modern um, hip-hop or something that really fit yeah 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 i don't even know how you describe all the different music these days yeah it's all starting to um tangent off in, in different angles and different different styles. Doesn't seem to be much melody in it. <laughs> no. It's, yeah. it's just it's poetry with music, isn't it? I'm thinking about the other what's the rap or whatever. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Gangster rap. Drill. Drill rap. Do you keep an eye on the young fellas coming through with guitars? Uh no, not really. Mm. I did for a while when I was the president, but uh yeah, I, if I hear somebody that's uh that's genuinely Aussie and, you know, just sounding like... I mean, you two, for instance, back when I started, there wouldn't be voices like you on mm -hmm. TV or, or radio. Mm -hmm. It was sort of a half-British kind yeah. of accent or, yeah. or they'd be putting on an American accent. So the whole thing's changed and it's great to see the young ones coming through now. I've recorded recently with Elise Simmons. We recorded my song, Three Sons. Yeah, right. No, she sounds really good. Who was the, uh, the the late night host? They just hired an American, <laughs> um, Don Lane. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Because you know everyone thought Americans were better than we were. You know, <laughs> nowadays Aussies are getting jobs, like the Adam Hills in England. Yeah, I but mean, who wants to live in fucking England? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you get no sun there. No, it's yeah. just one big Gippsland, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> now you're like me, you know, like not to get too serious, but you've got to understand why a mob that had been taken off their land, you know, 200 years ago, I know how that, if I had to live out of Australia somewhere and I wouldn't let it go back, yeah. I think I would die. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that's what happened to them. You know? And that was, um, and, and sorry, you, you toured a lot with Warren H. Williams. Yeah. And were you as familiar with kind of Aboriginal Australia before kind of, you know, working alongside him? No. You learn a lot. Why I welcomed it, you know, yeah. he, he approached me to do uh, a duet with the Raining on the Rock. I'd already had it on the Mallee Boy album, but he approached me to, he was doing duets with a lot of people. His manager suggested it out there at Alice, and uh, Raining on the Rock just suited him down to the ground, of course. Mm -hmm. And uh, and that was the song that got the airplay, the, the, the duet. It was an ARIA award one year for the most airplay 
for country song, I think. And um, but I was I was uh, invited out there to meet the real fellas out there, the real old people. They're cunning. Uh, Warren said, oh, yeah, I want to take you out to see my uncle and he's going to show you the, the stones that he's got, which have been handed down for thousands of years. And when I got out there, he was gone. Yeah, right. So I wasn't initiated, but I don't say no. He didn't say, you oh, no, can't come because you're not initiated. Mm. Uh, I had to get all the way in the middle of the desert before I found out he didn't want to talk to me. <laughs> But, and Warren didn't tell me either. Oh, Uncle's gone. You know? yeah. <laughs> yeah, Warren was just, uh, he was just taking a punt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I suppose, yeah. And, uh, yeah, they're lucky enough to uh, yeah, um, to still be on their land out there. Mm. The Arunda, Western Arunda. You would have seen a lot of um, Murray, Curry country music as well on the road. Did, yeah. you, did you ever know, did you ever think, you know, that there's, um, that there's just a whole scene here that's that's waiting because you know with warren there was uh, you know a lot of people of that era black singer songwriters and further north you get warumpy band and then of course you know kev carmody and, and that, that kind of stuff did you did you did you see the country music before you, before everyone else heard it oh i saw a bit of it i've been at some of their festivals and supported them you know the thing is uh what i've encouraged is to sing their own songs you yeah. know like yeah i've been doing for me I've, i was i've kept telling warren he should do his language songs and then then up gets, uh, there's a Gulpalil, uh, what was his name? Gurumal, that's right, sorry. Meg's in there, help me. Uh, Gurumal, yeah, they got up, and he was he was a world hit by singing, uh, you know, in, in his own language. And I always said to Warren, you should do that, you know. And so they can uh, they could send their stories around the world because you, you soon work out what they're singing about. And we did do a song where we used a bit of the language. Yeah. In, uh, ain't, um, uh, ain't, oh. I'm getting too old, guys. <laughs> well, it's well, 50, 50 years. <laughs> it's JW50. <laughs> Would you say that Australian country music is is a lot more original than what you'd get in America? Because you know, just for like for the past ten years, you know, since Garth Brooks really came through in the early nineties, it's all been that you know homogenized crooning. Like I've lost my baby, you know, like things like that. I've noticed as an Australian country music fan that there's always someone different that's coming through, where in America yeah. it's just more of the same Nashville shit year yeah. in, year out. I don't want to pat myself on the back too much, but things like Galleries, Pink Glass, Rain on the Rock, they're called country songs. Well, they're nothing like American music, are they? Yeah. No, no. They're nothing like American music, yet they're still called country. So... You know, maybe those sort of songs have opened it up a bit for the young ones that, that have been into what I do. And, and uh, But even slim stuff, I think, Brain Tumbles Down in July, they're very Australian, you know. Mm. Even even when you go up that way, uh, they start saying July. Yeah. <laughs> That's how authentic he was. He said July like an old ringer. Blind <laughs> Tina Drover, which is probably regarded in the folk mm. area, it's really an Australian country song, you know. Yeah. If it's a bad country... It's country. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, it's either that or it's an Italian country song. Either way. <laughs> Spaghetti Western. <laughs> <laughs> so that's 50 years, 50 albums. Not not all necessarily original albums, but 50 albums. JW50. Yeah, coming out now. And uh, that should get everyone warmed up for when we're allowed to do the live shows again, I guess. Yep. Yeah. Well, Next uh, year. An advantage for, for the, uh, the, the top... 20 artists in Australia because uh, we won't be able to bring the Americans and the Poles out for a while probably. Mm. 
Yeah. We, we might start headlining our own shows. <laughs> yeah, that's it. <laughs> Splendor in the Grass might have uh, an Australian lineup, uh, Blues Fest, all Aussies, Gimpy. Yeah, that should be a good time for Australian music. It certainly will be for film because we'll be rolling cameras well before Hollywood. Yeah, that's mm. all right. Yeah, oh, well, they haven't looked after their virus over there. <laughs> no, 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 no. Well, thank you for joining us today, John Williamson. It's um, It's been great to chat to you, and we're looking forward to uh, you coming out of isolation with a vengeance. Thank you, Clancy and Earl. Uh, um, you, you took it pretty easy on me, I think. 